Gavin, it's starting to look quite blown. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of The Podquisition. I'm your host, Jim Sterling. I am joined, as always, by my lovely co-host, Laura. Hello. Hello. I'm here again this week. I've got more weird sex games to talk about. It's going to be a fun week. That's good. That, that's what the, the only reason the show's popular, to be honest. And we're joined by Gavin, as always. Hello, Gavin. Hello, welcome to Laura's Weird Sex Games. Yes, we, we actually yes. remembered to re- to um, introduce you this week, Gavin. So that's a that's an improvement on last week. You're moving to be up fair, in the world. <laughs> I saw a lot of people complaining about that, but it was kind of my fault for interrupting you with Bloodborne talk. Yeah, well, you, like you got in the way of your own introduction. You've got no one to blame but yourself, yeah. Gavin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and when this week we really don't want to. Um, forget an introduction because that would just be hugely embarrassing uh we're actually joined by a special guest this week and um, he is the man behind the odd world series of games uh we are joined by lorne lanning hello lorne hey how you guys doing Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you for having me on, I think. I, yeah, there's, there's this wonderful moment where oh, I got... you don't I, know what you're in for. Oh, yeah. I, I, got a, I got a message after last week's show being like, hey, so Lorne Lanning might want to be on the podquisition. And the, just the general thing amongst the, uh, amongst the cast was... Do you do you know what you're getting into? Do you, do you know what this show is? Is this really the PR opportunity you want to be taking advantage of? Uh, well, you know, let me ask me that in about thirty minutes. <laughs> we'll see. Give it half an hour. If you just if you just disconnect from the call without saying a word, I won't hold it against you. <laughs> well, you know, I've always been a favorite uh, a favorite fan of underground in all all flavors, and uh, so. This seemed like an interesting opportunity because uh, apparently you guys don't hold many punches and have a, an interesting outlook on things out there. And so uh, why not? Let's have at it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, so long as you, you can keep up with discussions about, you know, having sexual relations with amiibo figures uh, or, or in, <laughs> indeed anything involving scatological stuff. And, and Laura will be talking about various video games she's found this week where um, you can have sex with all manner of inanimate and animate objects. Uh, so really, there's something for everyone. Um, <laughs> I, I like to think that, unless, of course, they're, they're children or the elderly or, or, or people. Uh, but that's fine. Um, or not a sick deviant. I mean, yes. if you're a sick deviant, there's something for you, definitely. It, it's, it's good. <laughs> See. Um, right, so I guess one of the big news bits that came this week concerning yourself, um, oh. Lorne, was uh, the announcement of uh, Abe's Exodus is getting redone, is it not? Well, it, 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 uh, we're in the planning stages, so it's funny because it wasn't really intended to be an announcement. <laughs> and here's what's funny, too, is, is it's no different from what I've been saying since last E3, except we've had success with new and tasty so since e3 i've been saying look the audience has already sort of given us the opinion if we're successful with this they wanted to go to exodus and now uh in this last interview uh, that i did uh, the other day uh, with greg miller i said you know so uh when he said what's coming i said well you know obviously the next one has to be exodus and we have had success so we you know we're in the planning stages of that and it was like then boom you know uh to our to our uh delight and 
paranoia immediately. You know, it spread everywhere because no, my my team wasn't prepared. Alex, who helped arrange this interview, he wasn't prepared. So he's like, "What?" Did, he woke up in Scotland to like, you know, an onslaught of emails. He's like, "You didn't tell me you were announcing." I was like, "I didn't announce. I, I didn't say anything different than I've said since E3, kind of." Well, that's and, games uh, media for you. I mean, you can <laughs> yeah. you could say it again now on this show, and the same websites will have the same headlines tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. I, it's I, I am one of those people that wrote up the announcement story and here's the thing like half of it was like oh Lorne Lanning I get to talk to him next week I should probably that there's news with him we should make sure that that becomes news and gets written up on all the headlines just so that we have a piece of news we can talk about on the podquisition obviously but you know it's like <laughs> yeah. someone said a thing yeah I'll write that up doesn't matter if it's it is, something it we've true. already you know, said we are, we are in the planning stages of it and, uh, and, you know, it's, uh, but, but because all the contracts haven't been awarded and things like that, you know, it's not that brilliant to talk about it. So we, we might still get the headline of, um, Abe's Exodus has been canceled. The game that was official and that was happening and was announced is no longer happening and it's a cancellation and it's horrible. And that could the game still happen. that was never announced. Yes, yeah, the game that was never announced <laughs> but, but was announced. So and there were I'm knocking about. on wood that hopefully that's that's uh, not the destiny. And it's all Laura's fault for spreading the rumors. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We know who to blame and we know who to come after. And we'll, it's not hard to find out where you live, Laura. That sounded a little bit threatening. <laughs> happening a lot in 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 gaming recently, isn't it? Things don't really get announced, but they get announced. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because you never know when it's actually going to be written. Like I said, I must have done 20 interviews since E3, and no one wrote about that. But I've basically been saying the same thing. And I, I guess the difference is, is this time with the success of PS Plus, how many downloads have gone on out there. Uh, we have hit the, the mark that we said we were, we were going to rebuild the new one uh, if we hit that mark in terms of sales and stuff. So we're in a good spot. You know, we just have to button button up all the... All the uh, T's and I's and make sure everything's done right and then we can have a formal announcement that says yes this is this is our goal this is our time to deliver but we're not at that phase yet so we want to be a little cautious but yes you know it's kind of like steam's early access but with press releases (laughs) and a product that will actually work yeah Yeah, it's a beta announcement at the moment um (laughs) i'm excited i'm looking forward to it abe's exodus is a game um i see i can't remember which birthday it was maybe my 13th um i bought it uh, and and I've got very fond memories of of Exodus. I was a big fan of Odyssey before then, of course. Uh, but Exodus, I just I adored it. Um, although I have an odd tra- semi traumatic memory linked to the game. It's not it's not odd. Oddworld Inhabitants' fault. Um, but I did buy it, and me and my brother and a friend of mine took a shortcut down an alleyway, and there was a man there who looked like Jake the Snake Roberts, the professional wrestler. Mm. And he asked us if we were the little fuckers that had been, I, I believe, throwing stones at his window or damaging his car or something. <laughs> um, he was convinced that we were, were very bad uh, individuals. I said, I was 13, and he was a fully grown man, built like a brick shithouse. Um we kind of wandered off, and he said, yeah, well, don't do it again. And then just as I wandered off, I said, well, you didn't do anything. And he, he just suddenly went crazy and just, <laughs> you fucking starting, you fucking starting something. Got right up in my face, started pushing me around, pushed me into the middle of the road, if I recall correctly. We ran. I, I'm a very sens- I was a very sensitive child. I had tears in my eyes at this point. Ran to the nearest house I could find and bashed on their door, and he ran off. Um, then I went home and played Abe's Exodus. And that's my story. <laughs> so that's the intro to Exodus. <laughs> Look what awesome. you did to him, Lauren. <laughs> so we were basically post-traumatic therapy. Yeah, yeah. Um, nice. But I've, I've got very, I've got other good memories tied to that game, uh, playing it <laughs> at game. my grandparents' house and whatnot. 
that it game was a hard was one. one. The first that uh, that really struck me as something that I've talked about on this show before. That is one of my one of my big reasons for playing games is indulging and immersing in an atmosphere. And that was one of the very first games that really got me with that. The uh, the very atmospheric feeling to it. I loved it. You get very lost in it. But it was way too hard for me because I suck. So I also I, used to rage, rage I, a lot at it. I think I was about six when it came out. So yeah, a little too difficult for me at the time. My memories are much more like I came to it later. A little bit late to the party. But games generally were much harder than anyway. Oh, yeah. They yeah. were. They were. Yeah, and it was it was tough. It was tough to tune a platforming game, especially when it was digital and you were just using sprites, mm-hmm. which meant you were playing back. <clears throat> you didn't have analog flexibility where you could say, "Well, I'll make them run five percent slower," you know, seven percent faster. You didn't have that ability, so the tuning of those games was really difficult because they were already sort of largely pre-locked into timings just because of the way animation playback was so we'd have to change the you know it it wasn't like we could just dial it you know like a machine gun tuning it where you go no it needs to spit out more bullets faster and you just push a little slider change the parameter in the script and that's happening this was like you had to go redo your motion code you go redo all your animations so it was really tough to tune and it was either too easy or too hard and that's where (laughs) we were we were like oh we couldn't you know it was very difficult for us to try and find a spot where we thought at least a, a lot of people would have fun with it Mm. Uh, I remember at the time I didn't have, I mean it was obviously a difficult game and I um, but I got through both uh, Odyssey and Exodus uh, as a kid and I tried replaying it again many years later, but this was before the 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 remake was was out and and I was like, I can't, how did I do this as a child? (laughs) I couldn't get past (laughs) the first stages Well that tells you what happened to your dexterity and your concentration ability, right? There yeah, you, yeah, just falling go. apart now, just just old and broken. Yeah, welcome. Uh, now I, I'm going to take this this in a bit of a different direction because this is um, a question that I feel I have to ask in any interview I do now. Um, most recently, I asked this question to Tim Schafer, and he gave a very lackluster answer. So here is the question: <laughs> What Uh-oh. is your favorite butt in video games? My favorite butt in video games. Yep, favorite butt of a character in a video <laughs> game. You know, I have to. I have to. Go to the uh, the endangered species hunting uh, female, Laura Croft. Mm. It's, you know, I, I, I guess. I, it's I it's imagine not a bad answer. Yeah, it's, it's a very obvious answer, I guess. It's not a bad yeah, answer. I, I but, you know, it's, it's, you could have put some more thought <laughs> into it. Oh. <laughs> I know, but I haven't played many female heroines, you know. and, and uh, Why limit yourself I, to that? Do you like any man butts? Are there any good man butts in games? That never worked for me. So I was well. I was, Abe, uh, Abe, Abe has a very um, vocal one. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> He's got different languages, and no one's yeah. uh, reverse engineered that language quite yet. I believe, but it's there. There is a coach. There, there's a picture <laughs> I saw of Abe that, that kind of spoke to the the design of, of Abe's Odyssey, where it's like he has two different tunes and five different farts. <laughs> just showing you where the priorities are. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, sorry about that. But, you know, memory usage, and you have to allocate, you know, to really what's high priority. So Exactly. Yeah, that I mean, that is exactly what I wanted to hear. I'm so glad. <laughs> <Thank you>. right. <laughs> you know, Laura, I've just realized I don't actually have an answer for that question either. You, I don't have, know. What, ha, what how have you been on is. this podcast for 21 episodes and not come up with an answer <laughs> to what's your favorite button in video games? <laughs> Devin, you've really got to pull your finger out. Like, this, this is not professional. Of my butt? Uh, of literally and figuratively, Gavin. 
That's you know, how he gets infected. Part of the reason is is that uh, what what I, I mean. I have to admit the female character uh, 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 paradigm out there in games largely. You're out of the 90s when I started, earlier 90s when I started making games, basically became repackaging a male, a male action role as a female action role, but it really didn't embody what made females special. And what I mean by that is, like, Laura Croft, what was she doing? I mean, <clears throat> people were saying, oh, this is the female role model. And I was laughing. I was like, are you kidding me? If this was a film, you'd be slaughtered by the critics. She goes into temples, robs them, and shoots every endangered species she comes across. Are you fucking kidding me? This is the role model? So aside from the fact that they did a great job in the game and all, it was, I found it hilarious that everyone was putting her up as a role model. You know, that in, in, and in many times in the games, what we had was we said, well... You know, we can do physics on breasts, so let's just have a female heroine character, and that'll go over really good because we have a rear view angle on it. You know, but for games, personally, that never meant much to me. And personally, the one of the stronger female characters that I felt I've encountered in a game was in something recently that was just uh, Home Alone. And then it felt like you were actually involved in a story that actually dealt with gender issues Did- in an interesting way that, you know, people really, I think, stuck to you know I, that I they will, really yeah, I will stop you. Did, did you call that home alone uh, uh, uh yeah my bad <laughs> my bad gone home. Home. yes my, my, my fault. Hey, <laughs> it's early I was, you know okay. i was hoping we were gonna let that one go i i, I was I like really everyone knows what he's talking about i was gonna try I've got like an it's... image of joe pesci just wandering <laughs> around the house finding out about his sister <laughs> yeah, exactly Sorry i, I feel that. i feel like such a horrible person for interrupting i'm like you're making a really intelligent point, and I really like everything you're saying. However, the the editor in my brain is like, wrong game title, wrong title, wrong title, wrong title, wrong, <laughs> title, wrong title, wrong title. That, in my luck is that's what will be written, and the uh, the correction will be, oh, don't, you know, I meant gone gone home. Uh, that would be edited out. And so, yeah, it, you know, that would the, be an interesting look, game, actually. You play Macaulay Culkin setting up traps for the for the burglars. It, it would have been a better game had he learned something about his sexuality along the way, probably. But well, there was an old. I mean, there have been licensed Home Alone games, but we're talking like like old ye oldy days, like Super Nintendo stuff. I remember there was one in a hospital once when I had a friend who had an appendix taken out. I, I don't know why why I link video games with weird medical and psychological trauma issues, but that's how I remember games. So I remember Super Nintendo in a hospital. I remember Super Mario Brothers 3 linked to depression and Abe's Exodus with Jake the Snake attacking me in an alleyway. Um, but but one, one point you brought up there when you mentioned about how people were calling Lara Croft a role model and, and how you, um, if, if that were a film, which... I mean, funnily enough, it is a series of films now as well. How that would be laughed out of a serious sort of film discussion is that that's something I've said a few times about various games where I feel like, like almost like the video game industry and the game media attached is so desperate to have their, their, their moment of, of legitimacy that they will glom onto anything, even if it is vastly inferior. Um, per, for me personally, that's that was always evident in the reaction to heavy rain where people said this, this is the true moment where video game, uh, video games have their, their cinematic masterpiece. And I'm like, if, if that, if that were a film, if that were a film, 
Um, you know, like, like Roger Ebert would just be crying with laughter in his seats. Um, and I, I don't feel like the game industry is quite there yet, but I don't feel that's anything to be ashamed of. Um, which I feel a that's that, <clears throat> that's exactly why Gone Home was so, such a good story in that medium, though, because it played to gaming strengths rather than its weaknesses. Yeah, and it told the story in a way that only a video game can do. I think that's it. Rather than sort of hinge on Hollywood pretensions and whatnot, they have actually they incorporated video game design into their story because too many games keep it separate. Yeah, well, they focused, I, I think, on a, on a critical kernel that, that in many ways hadn't been uh, proven yet, which mm. is really focused on great character development, focused on you know more of the principles that go with traditional screenwriting when it comes to what makes a character more engaging. And I think what we've seen <clears throat> to a large degree throughout the industry, I mean, there's so many games, you know, I can't speak for all games, and there's a lot that I haven't seen, but... Uh, for for the most part, what we've been doing is is sort of reverse engineering a little bit of character development on top of a character that we know is going to perform certain mm-hmm. actions repetitively ninety nine percent of the time. And when we and when something like uh, Gone Home separates out of that model where it's not about action, it's about really story discovery. And we could say the same for Mist, adding puzzles, right? But uh, but being a, an actual relevant, good, decent story. Um, gone home and in the in so in the context of games you know your point of we really really tend to inflate our minor successes i think that's totally true and probably also totally necessary you know because we really (laughs) should hail every minor success in Mm -hmm. that direction but uh what's happened traditionally i think with screenwriters is we bring in screenwriters and they're trying to write a film and they then and most of them don't really understand games and that's happening better and better you know, I think that's happening better with Grand Theft Auto V. I can so. picture them like trying to explain. <laughs> like, so basically, at the end of every scene, you have to make it end in a big fight. Somehow. Right. <laughs> How the fuck yeah. do you actually write that? Yeah. You have well, to make it end in a fight, and you have to write the story into an arena. Well, I think yeah. that is why most most people compare video games to like like they, if 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 it were analogous to the film industry it would be nothing but michael bay films at the moment because they have that well everything has to end in a fight um and only recently we're kind of more in, embracing on a wider scale this idea that no not not every game does have to have a big fight in it yeah that's what really i i loved about gone home because i didn't know anything about that game coming into it like nothing and i thought i was playing a horror game I was like, when is the boogeyman going to jump out at me? And that made it almost a more interesting experience. I know a lot of people yeah. didn't like that game, but... Well, of course, of course people don't like it. It's not a game. You don't do anything. There's no win state. There's no lose state. It's not a video game. It's a video game, people, and it's a really good one at that. So, yeah. I don't, I don't really understand why people want to be so pedantic over that. I mean, it's interactive entertainment, and the closest thing it would ever be is to a video game. Because, so. because it's not the kind of video games that they want. Shh, that's a big secret. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> Um, but here's what's really, <laughs> the really the great thing. Just to, just to comment on that, the great thing is that if if the re, if the stores were deciding what they were going to put on their shelf or not, we never would have seen Gone Home. 
that's mm, that's my exactly. personal opinion. Yeah. But because but because it was able to find an audience through digital distribution, and because it was able to be spread by word of mouth and still be available uh, in, in the time that it took for that to spread, which would again would not have happened on the retail shelf because it would have been off the shelf even if it got there in the first place long before it had a chance to, for people to go, wow, this is something interesting. My friend should try this. So if it took them weeks or months to discover it, it was still on a path. So you had a life cycle, you know, closer to a year of of discovery for audience which never could have happened in the old environment where you were dealing with a physical disc and i think what's great about that is that they they don't require walmart to say yes or no i'll carry this game right and and i mean that in a metaphorical sense you know using walmart as the biggest brand you know distributes a lot of stuff here in the states Uh, but if they didn't want your game you know what's the chances that a publisher's interested in your game who's going to be distributing discs so the world today they're able to uh, show their chops. I mean, I, I really commend that team because you had just a few people taking a complete risk. They didn't have any real comparables that said, this is what's going to be successful. And uh, in many ways, uh, they, they, in my opinion, across all, spec- all, all spectrums of the, the genre that in a sense they're trying to create, uh, they did an ab- above adequate job. And, and I don't mean like they did this stellar job. I mean, they for what they were targeting, and for I believe it was only five people working on it, mm. but they did an above-adequate job defining some new space that totally resonated with an audience. And when I looked at it back when, it was at uh, 250,000 sales. And when you applied that across the cost of the game, it really makes sense for five people to do that, right? <laughs> it, it added up, and they've got now they've got a budget going forward. And what's funny, because you see the Hollywood agents immediately trying to jump on them and, uh, and, and go get you know, 10% out of the next deal they can cut somewhere. Yeah. Well, which well, that, which that the company team, does we've... not need. That team doesn't need that. Yeah, no. we've seen what they can do with a bigger budget as well because Minerva's Den was fantastic. Mm, definitely, yeah, they did do the Bioshock now, deal. So, I, yeah. I I feel bad because this people listening to this show, this is this this episode has gone far more serious and intelligent than we normally do. Yeah. I feel like we need <laughs> no, to dumb so it down. And, we right. need to dumb it down and make Vari- it a bit more lowbrow. Is, 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 is good. <laughs> no, people like things to never change and to stay the same forever. So <laughs> I, I'm going to take matters into my own hands here, and I'm going to dumb this show down for us. So intelligent discussion of Gone Home. Let's put that to one side. We are going to talk about a game I played this week. Best part of this uh, of this show, obviously. This week, I played a game called Trials in Tainted Space. Do you know what that's an acronym for? It's an acronym for tits. It's an acronym for tits. I I thought it was going to have to do with somebody's taint. That's what I thought. (laughs) That is where my mind went. (laughs) Trials in Tainted Space is an acronym of tits. And it's a game where you fuck space lizard ladies. It's Good. a it's a weird game. Again, I find these they happen. Just I'm reading. Th- I will just read you through the introduction to this uh, to this game because, yeah, this is this is what I spent some time on this week. Victor Steele is one of the richest men in the galaxy. His fortune was gained through years of adventuring during the thirteenth Great Planet Rush, almost two hundred years ago. Trillions of credits and a massive corporation grew up around him. To this day, Steel Industry Technologies and Production, or Steel Tech, is one of the most respected names in its field. Unfortunately, the many mutations Victor underwent during his journeys wreaked havoc on his genome. Anti-Ajayath treatments have been decreasing in effectiveness as of late, and his doctors tell him that after two full centuries of life, he has a measly two decades left. 
This news is unwelcome, but he's lived such a rich, full life, fuller than most. With 20 years ahead of him, the suddenly old industrialite is looking forward to finding a successor or creating one. And basically, this is the setup for you going out to find space ladies to fuck. And it's like, is hey. Is it a spread your scene <laughs> game? Is it, yes, are you really it, trying it, to like, it is. spread? No, you are literally just going around. their universe with your offspring before, yeah. you, while you still can? You have 20 years to travel space and fuck as many, like, mainly animal-themed, like, space women as you can. So the, the various races of, of space lady you can go after, um, should you choose a pure human like himself, um, a dog-like assayer, Famed for their loyalty and friendship, um, their fluffy tails and their pointy ears, maybe maybe different choices. There's lizard ladies. It, it's all just about having sex with, with space Good. ladies. Good. Is it, uh, this just sounds like Mass Effect as written by DeviantArt. Well, it's, it's Mass Effect as a lot of people have asked for it to go, which is to basically become like a space romance simulator with no shooting. Except that is like, all I hear about with yeah. Mass Effect most well, of the time. Is just the thing the, I can about in it, but like you guys know the theory about the Asari in Mass Effect, don't you? What's the theory? There's two things to this theory. The first is the conversation that the guys in the pub are having, and they're all saying that they look more like their own species. Mm. And there is one moment where you find a naughty magazine in Mass Effect, and on the front of it is a blue gelatinous blob, which is mm. basically an eldritch horror. And that's the porno mag. And that actually kind of implies that Asari are horrific tentacle monsters, which fool us into thinking that they look like well, each that, species. Yeah, that is, that is canon, that they, um, their appearance, because of the way they can interact with other species' minds, they have it set yeah. up so that other species will perceive them as resembling quite closely the shape and form of their species. So Krogan see yeah. the Asari as, like, big, strong, muscular women with, like, <laughs> rock hard asses and humans see them with more sort of curved asses i don't know but really they look like you know the student things in bloodborne <laughs> that's fine as long as i don't ever have to see that then that's fine <laughs> <laughs> but, and here we were talking about that really quality hollywood script writing and character development hadn't hey, been happening in the industry. hey 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 and, and yet here it is some pretty good script writing oh yeah it's <laughs> the the intelligent writing of this man has a lot of money and he's in space he has to fuck a lot of space women otherwise no one will have his money well now i'm interested to play well, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds and, but like. What I th- but what I thought you were saying when you when you first said trials of tainted space, I was thinking trials motorcycles shrunk like in Fantastic Voyage through <laughs> having to navigate tainted spaces <laughs> in the worst possible context. Oh, God. <laughs> and well, that idea was Nintendo like, jumped wow. on that. Like, I, I put that on the 3DS, that. I would play that. I would play that. <laughs> I, I would play it too. So- I mean, it's sick. <laughs> The punchline to this story is there is another game by the same developer called Corruption of Champions, and again, that's a that's an anagram or an acronym of COCK. So, you know, they're, they're uh, really going for the cerebral game design here. I mean, if you if you if you were in the PC gaming store in Japan, we'd see some crazy stuff like this, right? We don't see it so much in the West. Yeah, that's why but, I activate but, my weekly mission to go drag it out. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, and so how is it? How is it play? How does it play? Um, it plays like any other sort of visual novel. It is, here is the story, click on what you want to say. If you answer the correct things and get enough happiness points, the lady will have sex with you. 
Oh, All right, so there's no actual real-time interactions like press X to finger No, no. It's, it's much like when we had um, the, the fish fucking game right at the beginning, um, uh, coming out on top, where it's like, it is just a case of say the right things so that the thing or person will let you have sex with them. That is how it works in real life. Yeah. Well, it didn't work that way in The Sims. It never got me laid in The Sims. Well, you obviously weren't saying nice enough things or trying hard enough to fuck The Sims. Apparently, I mean, I getting laid pizza, in the Sims you know, was hard. Invited her over for uh, a date. You know what else was necessary? It just didn't happen, and then my pizza wound up having flies all over it shortly, <laughs> and I got none, nothing. And that was the last time I played the Sims. Because <laughs> why bother? You know? Why bother if you get no sex and flies on the pizza? Like that's just that's the ultimate double whammy of of <laughs> lifetime failure. I was like, it is. I like actually life. like <laughs> find that the Sims like is, I is, I've always found the Sims is pretty much psychological torture because you're constantly trying to keep these little bastards happy and in so many ways, and it's really it's really difficult to do. And they get depressed, and then you're like, I'm a failure. I'm like, fuck this. Real life is better. It, well, it was, and a lot of it was happening through dialogue. It, it's like, but and it's easier to get laid in real so, life. Yeah, <laughs> it should be a console game with a controller where you know your motions, like you actually got to perform. You know, not not just a a dialogue. I mean, that's what film. You know, and film does that well. Why don't we come back here and we're in action, right? So you have to like, there should be a pump on the stick. There should be this. There should be that. You know, you you got meters for how how warmed up it is or not how you're doing with foreplay. <laughs> then you've reached the point where you know, you, okay, now you can go to penetration. Now you got to actually perform, like driving in a racetrack. I remember us rift a few more years and we'll get there definitely. Oh, 100%. I remember, I remember playing The Sims and I got my character to pick up a guitar and play in a room full of women and he didn't get laid that night. And I was like, that is not realistic. <laughs> That's bullshit. <laughs> well, you know, I told this, there was a show, there was a show in the US, it was uh, put on by Brad, Bad Robot. I don't know if you guys got it over there. It was, it was called uh, What About Brian? And uh, in the show, it, it, I don't know if you ever heard about it, but it was a bad robot, you know, J.J. Abrams uh, show, related show. And, uh, but in the, in the mythos, the, uh, I told the, the creators we were talking one day and joking. I said, oh, man, but you got to work on the realism of that show. And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, the game designer, he's got a girlfriend. <laughs> it was just right there. It's like anyone who's really been designing games, you know, chances are they got a divorce. But you know, having an active relationship where it's playing all these dramatic roles in the course of your life, I was like, that's no game designer I know. Well, certainly <laughs> in, the, uh, time. Yeah. in the triple, yeah, in the triple A space, it doesn't unfortunately give, uh, from what I hear, many developers time to pursue anything outside exactly. of, of coding exactly. games. Um, I mean, you've spoken about that before, I believe, about sort of the the capitalist-driven mainstream stuff and your uh, general um, disfavor for it. Uh, well, that's as a personal role, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think there's dip things going on there, but as a personal role, like what what are we doing with the hours of our lives, and how do we want to live? Uh, I just I just don't necessarily want to put all my time and energy trying to move trying to help move some bigger company's stock value. You yeah. know, I, I I want to put it into the craftsmanship of the craft. You know, I, I want to try and address an audience in a, in a slightly different way with an audience that's not Wall Street, and. Oh, yeah. and and that's what I feel like, you know, what we're, what we're looking at is we're looking at a lot of, uh, 
Uh, I mean, this is just the, the fact of life in the West and, you know, in capitalism. But what we're looking at is we're looking at a lot of products that are really, really the audience that they're trying to appease is Wall Street. In the process, what they're trying to appease is they're trying to get lots of consumers to buy the games. But that's in many ways, we say that's their ultimate audience because if they're not raising those numbers, those companies don't get to keep on making games or being in business. And, I think um, there's a backlash happening against it now. Well, I think the beauty is is that we're, it's the indie space doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning, meaning, uh, yeah. I mean, the indies, the indie space, like we're seeing things, we're having the conversation about uh, going home, and we all know the game we're talking about, right? And that was not something that was pushed by a publisher. They had a big marketing budget. They had any of that. It's just it got out there. They they found their audience. It spread, and we're able to talk about it today. Couldn't have happened 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah. It, is, it is the wonderful age of lower barriers to entry for game design that are allowing people to tell personal stories, and <laughs> it's making a wonderful age of game design where anyone can tell their story, be it a... Very heartwarming, touching um, exploration of gender and sexuality, or a game about fucking space ladies. You know, but both both are now open to people who want to make them. <laughs> Variety and choice—that's important. I mean, I can and I can respect all that as well as someone who, because um, we're seeing it happening on the games media side as well. Um, I mean, you spoke to Greg Miller the other day, and he yeah. he and. Colin Moriarty and those guys uh, broke away from IGN and are doing mm-hmm. the kind of funny thing. Mm-hmm. Um, myself, you know, I've worked with Destructoid and The Escapist and and everything I do now is is funded through Patreon, through audience contributions. I think haven't, well. yeah, we've, oh no, because Laura, you, you just got the new job. I was going to say, all of us moved away from into well, being independent there for a while. I, I still have a lot of independence. Um, I have, I have, 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. I work a job for a site, but I still do a lot of like my own content. Like I still have afternoons free to myself to do stuff like Podquisition and all these wonderful other projects that I do. So, you know, well, you're, you're, I crept a little way back towards the, 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 the salary job, but Patreon's still what keeps the lights on. And, and here's, I, th- I think, uh, so you guys are happy with Patreon. That's good to hear. And, uh, you know, I, I don't use it. I've mixed feelings about it, but yeah. because I don't like having to show what I'm earning. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> well, there's that. Well, because I people do. see I that you... number and they presume you're earning that. Yeah, but yeah, when I mean... you take into account with tax and everything, and tax, I pay like 40% tax here in Ireland as a sole trader, so it, yeah, it would be nowhere mm. near. And... Yeah. I tell you what, the, the one good thing of having your, your income on display is, is, and I'm not showing off, um, but... <laughs> If if your Patreon and bear in mind I don't get that much money, but if your Patreon does say you're earning ten grand a month, you can look that up on your phone. And if you're talking to someone you're trying to impress at a bar, you can just flash the browser on your phone to them and say, "I make that much now." I was about it. <laughs> that's what I do. That's, that's that's what I do with iTunes, Jim. I go, "Hey, hey, hey, hey! Look at me! I'm number one on iTunes. Check that out." Well, you're kind of a pop star. When when Podquisition was top of um or was really high in iTunes, I was showing that round, being like, "Yeah, we're higher than Night Vale in iTunes." Woo! It is good to have uh, <laughs> certain things on display publicly, but but yeah, I yeah. mean, I think it is. Imp- it's becoming increasingly more important to have uh, to make sure that you're working for yourself more than for, as you say, raising someone else's stock. Um, right. And, and, what, yeah. and, what, and to add to that, in is that one of the the filters that's naturally happening between who has a voice and who's finding an audience is that if we if we rewind this and we go back to the days when if you were going to have a show you were either on a radio or TV or 
or or you had a puppet stand on the corner, right? But that was about it, right? You didn't have many options beyond that. And what was happening in that model was the network would figure out that, oh, we need a game show. Yeah, let's let we need a game show because games is an increasing uh, market that our audience is showing interest in. And if we don't if we don't supply that show for them, we're going to lose uh, uh, we're going to lose more viewers. And so like that would be an MTV type problem. Right. And so then what they would do is they would say out and say, oh, well, we're going to hire some game people. Let's do a bunch of interviews. Let's bring people in and see which one is going to sit in that chair that we're going to have the camera on. Now, what's happening today, as you just described, Laura, is you got your, your uh, nine-to-five job, as we call here, and then when you go home, no one, people can't keep you from producing more podcasts, more shows, more, <laughs> more uh, broadcasts going out there. And that is what's making the winning YouTubers or not, right? That's what's making the, the winning podcasters or not, I- is that the people that can do it, you can't stop from doing it. They mm. keep on being prolific prolific and with time they gather a bigger audience so instead of having a big corporation say you know what you won the lottery and you're in the chair and hopefully this show will go good and we'll keep it on the air instead it's actually the content creators which is what you are and you're going out there creating that content and finding your own (laughs) audience and then eventually it's so big that corporations want something to do with you i mean that's that's you know that's a nice place to end up well i think that was one of the funniest things that happened to me is when i did um leave the escapist they're owned by defy media um i left the escapist and then i want to say two days later i got an email uh, a message from someone from defy media who said hey your youtube channel is really popular would you like to work with us (laughs) we just parted ways Uh, (laughs) i think but i think every I think a lot of artists now are starting to realize this and move away from the models that are there. And I can't talk about gaming, but for me with music, it, it has been that way. I mean, who who do you know that got to like number one on the iTunes metal chart with no record label? Right. That's that would have been on that would have been unheard of a couple of years ago. And now you can do it. All you need is a your own audience. And I I love that people are moving away from having big companies controlling their content. I think this is a really good thing for artists, and I hope more of them realize that it's there to be there to be done. What Gavin's really trying to say is he is number one on the metal charts uh, with his album, <laughs> yeah. and was, you should was, not forget it. Was is it was you, you were washed yeah, up? No, has I'm down been to eleven. Already. I'm down to eleven this week. Oh no, you're <laughs> only eleventh awesome. best metal album. Ah, you're Rico uh. Suave. You're Rico Suave, Gav. <laughs> oh god, yeah, it is nice though. Like it's th- there are very few companies that would pay me to produce like weekly videos about butts in video games for example but it's the thing of like hey if there's an audience out there that want the content who am i to say no i won't take your money to produce that <laughs> like what what co- what professional company would have like funded pewdiepie do you know what i mean yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. But now everyone wants a piece of them, right all yeah. the big corporations and that's not an insult all the, to all the big publishers just- no, it's just yeah, it was a completely exactly. unproven thing that like there's no market for it. Oh wait, there is a huge market for it. Now we want you. Exactly. Yeah. And if you look at, you know, a lot of these companies, they have uh they have the the budget, the money and the need to go out there and make big hits. And they need to do that, you know, these big public company publishers. And and uh but w- w- as indies, we have the opportunity to look at it differently. And differently means I mean for us, I can tell you when we uh, let's just give a, a recent story. So we were n- uh, number one for a number of days on Macintosh game sales, paid game sales on Apple. 
devices on desktop devices, which is slightly different from the mobile store. But we're number one. That was completely unexpected. And we don't, you know, and there were other titles where there was, you know, Sims and, you know, basically big Call of Duty and, and big titles. And here we are, these little guys, and somehow we hit the charts. And, like, we're ecstatic, you know. The money's not huge, but we're like, hey, we're in the charts. Look at that. Oh, my God. You know, it happens. Uh, but the, part of the difference is, is that when we're building a product, of course, we're doing ROIs, return on investment. What's this going to mean? You know, we're trying to be smarter about that. But we still, we still are, are stuck with a bit of the creator's artistic curse, and I think you guys are too, which is um, you're focusing on a certain quality. When you're building your me- metal band and your ri- guys are writing music, uh, I don't think you're just studying the audience and the analytics you know, in a social game-like way and trying to figure out what lyrics you should write. You're, going, you're probably going balls out and trying to do some cool-ass shit that you as an audience would love to hear if someone else was making it. And right. uh, Laura, with your shows, you want to talk about the stuff you want to talk about. You're not saying, is this okay to talk about in the context of you being supported by Kleenex brand who may have a problem with you talking about these things? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's exactly uh, the reason why I um, split from, from ad-based revenues and, and why I split from working for another company is I could see that creeping in more and more of spon- mm. videos with sponsorships. You know, I didn't want the Jimquisition to be brought to you by the delicious taste of Mountain Dew oh. uh, and then have to worry about offending a company or a corporation or, or anything like that. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the only reason I stuck with Destruct, why I've gone with Destructoid is because... Yeah, you definitely don't that, worry about yeah. offending corporations. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. well, yeah, it's like, yeah. For, for me, where I'm at, Destructoid is a really good place for, like, allowing me to make the kind of content I want to make without any of the restrictions yet that I'm sort of worried about. If those restrictions start to creep in, then we'll sort of reevaluate whether that's right for me or not. But yeah, it's, it's nice to have lots of outlets to create weird stuff and to not have to worry too much about how it performs. So, woo. And if you get enough, you just need enough to keep going. And if that happens, then you have, and if you, in my, my, faith and belief is is that if if you're doing that and you stay true to that authenticity Mm. i mean if you just say hey man hamster games are going to be huge and fuck it i'm making hamster games for life i mean maybe you're beating down a path that no one else wants to follow you on i'm really curious what what are hamster games well hamsters you know what hamsters are yeah i know what hamsters are you just believe you said you know it's like what was that movie um what was that movie where uh uh, the guy was into puppetry With John Malkovich. Oh, being, being John, John Malkovich. Yes. Yeah, it's like, you know, he just thought puppetry was really the art form that needed to change the world, right? <laughs> and what I'm saying is if you believe hamster games is that art form, you might be barking up a tree to it, not, no success down the road, right? In, in my head, I'm just, I'm just picturing a genre that doesn't exist now. I'm like, uh, what am I going to do with this hamster in this game? Well, mm. <laughs> yeah. Gee, I but wonder like, what you would do with the hamster. It's going up the part. butt. I'm sorry. It's going up my butt. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So it's the, uh, it's the uh, what was his name? Richard Gear Game. Yes, oh, yes. which is yeah. the simulator sure. coming to Steam Early Access in 2016. It's like, oh wait, what's this rodent doing? This Let's insert thing. it. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. put a he he put a rat up his butt or a well, I think or that's something. what he put said. Some, it. I think it, yeah, he's then sued because he said it never happened. So maybe who yeah. knows? But it was pretty mean for anyone. Uh, to say allegedly, that he put place. some kind of rodent um, up up his rectum. Yes, I mean that had to get it removed at the hospital. Right? You don't yeah. see you don't see that so much these days. Back in the nineties, <laughs> rumors were all the rage, like like just weird rumors. Like there was one that that I heard was um, oh, what's her name? She was Miss Congeniality. Um, Sandra Bullock, yes, had a really hairy back. That was one that was just went around schools in the nineties. There was the uh, prince, 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 Prince getting his rib removed. Prince getting his rib yeah. removed. Oh, so, I remember that. So yeah. 
Keenan and Kel died in a joyride. And I believed that one Sadly for a long not. time until I saw them in a film and was like, they're yeah. still alive. You, you know why the, the rumors of um, animals up the, the backside have gone away? It's because of the advent of mobile phones with a vibrate function. Because that's that's, it. it's about the then that it's just, you don't need a hamster anymore. You can just it's give yourself a call. Simulator. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's really going down a notch, though, from Cindy Crawford to a fucking, what did he shove up his bum? Yeah, Cindy Crawford. Is it a rat or a hamster? Or? <laughs> I yeah. think they said it was a gerbil. Gerbil, I mean, gerbil sounds Dude's right. dating the hottest woman on the planet, and then he's going, nah, I'm sorry, Cindy, I'm I'm with gerbil now. Hooray, well, we, that's managed, what I said. we managed to bring Variety. everything lowbrow again. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> I am fighting the, the, the urge for this to become an intelligent show. I'm like, no, this must never be an intelligent, valuable show. <laughs> well, I think we always try and bring a little bit of everything. Um, a little bit. It's important okay, to know Laura, your I brand. I have an answer right? for you. <laughs> Oh, you have an answer out butts for me. Okay. Yeah. There are two of them, but they're both in the same game. Both Batman and Catwoman from Arkham City have okay. amazing arses. They are very well rendered, especially in, very in, in DirectX 11. Arses. Mm. Yeah. You, you, yeah. Know, you know what I'm going to go with for favorite butt in video games? And this isn't going to be an obvious choice. I've thought long and hard about this one. Um, it's, it's Ellie from Borderlands 2. The sort of the large I got mechanic lady. There you were going to say something no. <laughs> different, Ellie. No, no, no. The, the like, large. Yeah, I was panicking for a second. <laughs> Sorry. No, the large mechanic lady. Do you know who you know who I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah because yeah. she is a a woman who, to me, exemplifies body confidence and like love the body you've got and screw what anyone else thinks about it. And that goes to her buttocks. Like that is a big part of what makes her buttocks great. That she has like a flower on her backside. She's not afraid. She's not trying to like shy away from it. She's not trying to hide it in clothes that are too baggy to like distinguish it. It's like, no, this is my ass. It is huge. And I am proud of it. And that confidence goes a long way to me. And as such, that is my favorite button video games because I love what it represents. It's a nice answer. Yeah, there you go. That's, that's me being the, the intelligent butt journalist that I am. (laughs) You blended butts and intelligence. So yeah, that's, that's that's the key. (laughs) That is the key. Um, one other big bit of news that came out this week that um, you know I, I think we probably all got opinions on is uh, Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat Ten. Mortal Kombat X oh, came yes. out this week, uh, boosted by a bevy of microtransactions and, and downloadable content in typical Warner Brothers fashion. Um, chief among them, you can buy. And these are consumable items. Uh, you you buy them. You're supposed to keep buying them. It are easy fatalities. Mm. Uh, fatalities, of course, being the famous um, method of executing another player uh, once you've defeated them. Um, typically, very difficult uh, combination of buttons and combos to pull those fatalities off. And Warner Brothers is kindly offering offering you the opportunity to purchase the ability to just to do them, bringing us one step closer to what I call the we'll just play the fucking game for you mm. packs that I'm sure <laughs> DLC will soon become. Here's, here's the thing. Uh, like I initially hadn't picked up on the fact that they were consumable and I wasn't too annoyed about it because I thought, okay, let's say that you and your group of friends like Mortal Kombat, you're playing it for the violence, but all of you are button mashers. None of you are very good at actually playing the game properly. You just like to smash buttons and then see violent stuff happen for you if this wasn't a consumable purchase it would probably be like a reasonable thing to be like right i will pay a small amount of money 
now I can pull them off a bit more easily. And because they're after the win or loss has been decided already, it's not going to change whether you win or lose. It just change whether, it changes whether both people in the match get to see some cool violence. Like, if it wasn't consumable, I kind of wouldn't have too much of a problem with it. But then when I hear it's consumables, where it's like, hey, $5 or whatever it is for 30 easy fatalities, after that you want to do more, you're going to have to buy more. Well, that it's, feels it's really seedy. Yeah. It, it, once again, microtransactions being put in $60 games, which I, you know, I call it the fee-to-pay mechanic, where you're paying for the opportunity to pay for more stuff, <laughs> exactly. uh, as opposed to free-to-play. Um, Lord, I, mean, I think it's very cynical. It's Prothean Part cynical. 2. It's, it's Javik Part 2 because it's exploiting something they know the fans want. It well, is, you know, I got, I got an opinion on this, in, yeah. in that the, uh, the, what's happening with free-to-play, I call it... Uh, uh, it, it, basically, it's psycho- psychological design, which is they're they're focusing. Uh, I'm not saying midway. Let's say as a genre, the art of the genre is figuring out the psychological impulse by pattern. Uh, what is where is that point in time? You know, and the Asians, the Koreans, and the Chinese are really figuring this out first. The social gaming companies in the West started really getting into it next. Uh, you know, the MMOs understood it to different degrees, but in free-to-play, it really turned into this different science where it's like, how do we, you know, it's more like drug dealing. You know, how do we get them tasting? And then how do we figure out exactly when they need that next boost? And how do we make that the purchase pattern? You know, if you, the, the, the impulse buy. And so they're hiring designers based on their ability to figure out impulse buying rather than their ability to be, you know, super creative and come up with a great story. And, and I'm not judging them. I'm just saying this is what's going on. But knowing some of the people that were in charge of, uh, without naming names, you know, monetization at big, huge social gaming companies, uh, in their opinion, they looked at it and said, eventually this is going to be illegal. And eventually it'll be illegal in the way that some gambling issues are illegal in different countries in that if you are now focusing on what you know is a, is a human behavioral pattern where a game like Candy Crush that should have cost $9, someone is actually paying $100 a month for, maybe they're being ripped off. Now, maybe on one hand, they're going, no, I'm fine. I, I think it's fine. I really love Candy Crush. On the other hand, you're going, look, it's really $10 worth of product. Yeah. And you're able to figure out a way to charge that for $1,000 over the course of the year. I mean, I read a Business Insider article where the, where the writer, she said, uh, hey, the headline was like, I figured out how to save $40, $47 a month on Candy Crush. And I read that and I was like, what you're really saying is I'm a huge fucking idiot. <laughs> you know, because who's paying that? Like, like, you know, so what happened was we figured out how to, how to a game that maybe you used to pay X amount of dollars for, we're figuring out how to sell that to you again and again and again and again and again. And it really is focusing on human impulses that in some degrees are, you know, they're, sub, they're subconscious. You know, the, the, the player is not paying attention. They just know that they have this urge at this moment. And the people who win this space the best, they understand that moment and they know how to put that that in-game purchase, that pay item right there at that moment so you're compelled to buy. And this is a very well-understood science that the audience is encountering but doesn't necessarily understand. And so it's really playing off of, you know, sort of addictive behaviors. So I think eventually there's going to be more scrutiny on this because the, the more that that science is understood, the more the audience can get gouged. Now, one thing we see is that the trend of that, right, like, Four years ago, if you were saying, we're going to build a free-to-play game and here's our business model, if you said that you, you know, we're, going to, we're going to have 100 million players and out of that we're going to monetize 
the, the, the investors in this community might have believed that that was possible. Today, if you're saying 3%, they go, you're not going to do that. At best, you're going to do 1.6%. And, and so what's happening is more and more, you know, it seems like the audience is picking up on, well, I'm really interested in free, but a lot of the offers are kind of a rip, and so they're backing off. So you're monetizing a smaller and smaller percentage of the audience, unless your game's like, uh, you know, World of Tanks, which is you're in a whole different action model where you're buying ammo and stuff like that, and, and people feel like they're actually getting a good deal uh, in the hours they're playing because they're logging hundreds and hundreds of hours into something. But So not to generalize at all. But anyway, my rant's over. But, <laughs> it, was it, was actually, it was a very good rant. Um, <laughs> I mean, there are really good free-to-play games out there that do, as you say, they provide the quality product mm. first and then worry about monetizing. You know, we've seen this with Blacklight Retribution, Loadout, um, these games that are First and foremost, excellent games you can put hours into without ever spending money. And then that makes me want to give them the money because I want to, not because I've been made to feel yeah. like I have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you guys a- ever bought a, 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 a nasty little microtransaction and felt dirty afterwards? Um, <laughs> I-, like I, I bought the one in Assassin's Creed 4 to make you get more ship money stuff oh, quicker. Oh, that and is I- a shame. Yeah. I did I one with so the dirty um, afterwards. I did one with the Mass Effect Three multiplayer once, and because I had I had some Microsoft points sitting around, and there were too few of them to spend on anything else, and I was like, well, I can buy a booster pack of items for the multiplayer, and I just felt horrible afterwards. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's where I find it especially despicable is is when it's an actual free to play game. We understand that there's going to be some psychological pummeling to try and get you to spend money. Um, that's the trade-off for it being free. Um, but when you're spending $60 for the privilege of having that same psychological attack on you to try and get you to prize open your wallet, I just I find it unacceptable. Because and when they're deliberately making the game less fun to make you spend to money it. to yeah, make I mean, it more enjoyable. I've seen developers... Hello, Dead Space 3. <laughs> exactly. I've seen, I've seen game developers, you know, probably not saying it because they want to say it, but saying, you know, oh, well, the the microtransactions are purely optional. They don't affect the game in any way, shape, or form. And all I can think is bollocks. Bollocks it is. You wouldn't put the microtransactions in there if you didn't want people to buy them. And you wouldn't want people to buy them without trying to find a way to make them buy it. Mm -hmm. I think. Can you believe if, like... uh, Oh, no, you, you go ahead, Lauren. Oh, sorry. But I was saying is, I think what's happening is, is that they're trying to reverse engineer an old solution into into a new fix, and so they're trying to find this balance between. I mean, who's who's building more combat? Is that is that still Midway? Or they, is, I thought that... it's uh, Nether Realm, uh, the studio okay. now, and yeah. they're published by Warner Brothers. Who got uh, it? Yeah. Uh, so I can't speak, you know, to specifically any insight there. But what happens a lot in the West, and I hear this most from uh, our friends in China that are that understand both models, is they say, you know, what happens all the time in the West is the West thinks they're going to reverse engineer their existing game and just start adding in this sellable content, and they're completely off the mark. And so they don't sell for shit over here. And that happened with some of the biggest sports properties. The, you know, the, the, the Western designers and publishers think that they're, oh, we got we're going to go into China with, uh, you know, this big sports brand, and we're just going to kill it man because we you know we got the market over there but they totally don't understand the buying pattern of the audience and they completely blow it even when told by the chinese publishers look you have to do it this way or it's not going to work and even when they do that they're like no 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 we know we know and then they fail and so i think your reaction to that type of uh, feeling like you're getting getting ripped off is is not that uncommon and 
And eventually they pay the price for it, you know, because the audience responds and goes, I know what I'm being taken advantage of. And the That's audience it, will yeah. respond. I mean, it can take some time, but I feel like yeah. eventually the bubble always bursts. And we see publishers that probably, like you said, with the free-to-play guys who who knew that at some point this is going to be illegal. It's like they know eventually the, the golden chariot's going to fall apart, but they are going to ride it hard mm. and fast for as long as they can. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I don't even know that a lot of them know it. You know, I think they, 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 there's a number of them that may disagree with me. Um, but, um, you know, that's coming, my, my opinion is coming from people who are in that space, who've been very successful in that space. And then, you know, when they're honest off the record. So I think, you know, some, there's a lot of companies out there doing it. And I'm sure some actually believe that, it, you know, it's the righteous path to follow and it's better for the consumer and blah, 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 blah. blah. But, you know, there's drug dealers that feel that way, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, do we, what do we want to talk about now? Where do we, where do we well, go from we there? Actually, you, know, you, were, yeah. you were mentioning, like, weird sex games, you know, and, and then you were men- mentioning these different games of Victor Steele and all this tainted space. And I was thinking, you know, here's a great, here's a great one, right? You, uh, so we got to go stop these big uh, terrorist networks, no matter where they were. And what you're going to do is you're going to be this hot chick who has to go spread, you know, some uh, fatal venereal disease. Right, and that's that's you're now the spy infiltrator. You have to you have to not blow your cover and spread is, as much of that. Is this a game that exists, or is this the next thing you've got in the? No, works? I think someone should make it. Yeah, yeah. well, you're the game <laughs> person here. Make this. <laughs> well, then I, I want no you're you're no, well you're in indie, so you know there's no publisher telling you you can't. I am. I'm almost like certain. I'm just an audience wanting that game. Right? I'm almost <laughs> certain there's a movie with a plot like that, possibly. <laughs> Possibly one produced by the asylum. It's really about self-sacrifice, right? And what a heroine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. If, if we want, I do have one more weird, um, weird game to talk about this week. So I, I can very quickly talk about one more. Oh, sure, this, yeah. this is a game called The Golden Order, where you play a man who wakes up dangling naked upside down with jam on his face about to be fed to a fish god. <laughs> And it's it's a text-based story that's all told in rhyming couplets and limerick. So where is my where is my story? So I can do I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but I will read just enough to get people interested. So the splash uh, the splash rush of blood from his toes to his head meant two things to the man. Upside down, he's not dead. It seems only forty five seconds ago he ordered espresso with jam. The kindly barista turned round to him, proffered Jespresso and blam. From 30 feet high, it occurs to him the way his next moments will be as he stares eye to eye uh, to gigantic eye with a goldfish the size of a tree. So I'm not going to go any further. Very interesting. That is is an interactive poem slash game thing made in twine that I played this week. And it's it's charmingly written about nakedly trying to escape a a fish. (sighs) I I genuinely worry some of this is Laura bait. That like there are people out there that are like, I can throw something together, and if it's silly enough, Laura will play it now. <laughs> It'll just get on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, There's a mark. For me, I've just been playing uh, Dark Souls still. Oh, wow. Um, oh, yeah. Nothing interesting there. breeze through Blight Town. That Blight was, Town uh, ain't shit, Gap. That was interesting to hear. I yeah. had a lot of trouble um, with Blight Town. At this rate, man, you'll be, you'll be flying through Anne Orlando with that. Uh, I'm Blight already Town. at Onstein and Smog. Are you? I'm at How did you find the... Uh, Part where you have to cross the bridge with the two archers firing. At yeah, you. I like Blighttown. I didn't have a problem. Um, I got too impulsive and just like I didn't think I'd get too far and breeze through it. And before 
like setting up recording equipment and stuff. Um, yeah. But I got through it, um, all that stuff. Fought off a phantom invasion while in the poison swamp. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that, that's my Dark Souls progress. Um, um, I've been playing GTA 5 PC, which is fucking fantastic. It is really good, it isn't is it? Such a good it, is, it is amazing what's happening in that game, isn't it? It, it, you know, I mean, you're you're looking at. I mean, uh, did, did you look on YouTube on the uh, the uh, the time lapse, just time lapse shots that people made of GTA Five? And I think that was you know back on uh, 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 yeah the first version that came out. It, it's just mind blowing. You're like, well, huge opportunities. I mean, how many films could you make inside of Grand Theft Auto Five? Like it, you know it. it like you, you could make a television series inside that engine if you did, you know, some more things to it. Uh, change. You know, you know they've they've added that as a feature now in the PC version. I they've think added really like an entire movie making yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And I'm talking about that the other day on uh, on Greg's show, and uh, he was asking what I thought. I thought I think it, without a doubt you're going to see the engagement numbers go up. You're going to see longevity of play go up because people are going to start to customize their experience. And I think you're going to see some hilarious, you know, the clever people are going to create some hilarious writing, you know, in the tune of blue, red versus blue, right? Except now you're doing a whole level of sophistication with technology. Mm-hmm. And it'll be exciting to see. I mean, we'll see out of every thousand videos that someone puts up or maybe every 10,000, we'll see two that are like really cracking us up or really engaging. Mm-hmm. And those type of numbers, you know, kind of like YouTubers, you know, that's going to blossom who does it best to the top. Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing I find is you give a game community any shred of an excuse to have some collective creativity going on and they'll take it and find a way Mm. i mean even with something like we were just talking about dark souls even with something like that they find ways to create their own sort of mimetic ideas and jokes and and just something like the sack bros where people (laughs) join up in cooperative play and or the fire the fire the base cannon fire the base (laughs) cannon just all this and, and we yeah. see it with Bloodborne at the moment, you know, people like like people writing O Yarnum on messages just everywhere, and just yeah. people express themselves uh, as not just individually but as a collective. And we see that on Twitch TV now, you know, Twitch plays Pokemon, Salty Bear, mm-hmm. uh, all this kind of stuff. And certainly things like the director tools in Grand Theft Auto PC will allow that. Although it also allows a man to make a video of, of Franklin kicking a cat to death, which yeah. which has yeah, yeah. made which, headlines which, which, recently. No, in, in my opinion, is fine because it lets us know who that man is. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like let people make their shit. It's just like drugs. Let them do like what they why, want. Why did that get so much attention? Yeah. You know, yeah. why did people go and fucking put that up all over? Like the guy who made the that more you rage about stuff like that, the more visible it is. I just think if it had just been left to die in a corner, <laughs> you know? flag it as something I don't want to see any more of. Right. The guy who and made more, that video yeah. actually um, wanted to address. Uh, redress the balance and now has a video of a small terrier dog um, savaging a group of, of humans on a beach <laughs> before throwing itself into a fire and dying. <laughs> now I want to make the wrong. <laughs> the gamer <laughs> creed. <laughs> I want to see it. But yeah, it's, um, the city is is fantastic, and you see, it just gets a whole new life, and it's just so much better looking and gorgeous, and runs so smooth. It's such a good port. I'm really pleased with what they did. I know some people have been having problems, especially with the DRM, but uh, once you get get it running, it's it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. There's some amazing things there. I agree. Yeah. And somehow, amazingly, you know, uh, people stayed supportive of that brand. I mean, at the publishing level, you know, because if you remember the first two Grand Theft Autos, you know, it wasn't flying off the shelf. Yeah. 
it is nice when a publisher sees some faith, like like shows faith in something and sees something yeah. that that yeah. they can build off rather than wait for the instant success. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Prince of Persia is another one that actually sort of saw some second life there. In, in, in that, you know, they brought it back. And yeah. it became something better than yeah. ever, actually. Well, I mean, that yeah. was back when Ubisoft, um, back when I really liked Ubisoft as a company. They brought out Prince of Persia, Beyond Good and Evil. They were taking big risks and doing all sorts of cool things. And 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 and, and now they are what they are now, <laughs> which is a bit sad. Sounds of yeah, Time was was quite a big success for them, wasn't it? It, it was. Which one? Sliver of Time. Mm. Sounds of Time. Sounds of Time. Sorry. Yeah, it's. Ubisoft are no longer our favorite company on this podcast, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> I still like them. Excluding Gavin, who still likes them. In yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to defend that on Twitter today against some guy who was like, why do you hate Ubisoft so much? I'm like, no, no, you're confusing me with Jim and Laura now. No, 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 you're the one who hates Ubisoft, Gavin. Why do you hate their game so much? Anyway, time for questions. <laughs> yes, I think yes. I upset Gavin there. I'm sorry. <laughs> time for questions. We've got some questions. Um, so from BlearyLine7 on Twitter, what are all of your favorite uses of licensed music in video games? Shall I go first? I've got two. I've, I've, got, I've got one as well, so I'll go after you. <laughs> um, okay, the first one, very quickly, um, Sympathy for the Devil in Black Ops. That was amazing. It was a complete rip-off of Apocalypse Now, but it was still really cool. You're on a boat and you're going down the river annihilating peasants, and it was disgusting <laughs> and subversive. And you've got the Rolling Stones playing while you do it, and I was like, yeah, this is a really well-done scene. And then the other one would be Far Cry 3, when you were burning the crops with the flamethrower, and they had that really cool kind of... Uh, reggae dubstep song playing about getting stoned while you're burning all the crops and I thought that was a nice little subversive moment too um, I know for me like the one that stands out whenever I think about this question is the um, right at the beginning the first mission of Saints Row 4 where you've got Aerosmith yeah I know but it's, <laughs> I bet it's, it's gonna be safe. yeah it's so good though it's Oh, hey, no, I thought you were going to say Kanye West power. No, because no. Because that's what everyone said. That was, no. that was the f one of the first ones that leapt to my mind was the Kanye yeah. West moment in but, 3. No, Saints Row 4, it, it is just it is this moment where you're trying to stop a nuclear missile being launched and you, you aren't fast enough and it's starting to launch and you jump onto the side of a nuclear missile while Don't Want to Miss a Thing plays as you climb a missile, ripping chunks out of it and then throw yourself off the missile. And just this entire, like, you're whistling up into the air and the clouds are rushing by at speed and you're in your sort of super armoured suit ripping stuff off of this missile. It's just so cool. It is. A, that is a beautiful moment. I mean, Saint Row, the Saint Row series uses licensed music so well. Mm. Um, yeah, they, they, they really do an incredible job with Which, songs. Considering um, how good their use of licensed music is, I was so disappointed that Gat Out of Hell did not make use of Meatloaf at any point. Yeah. Like that yes, seems like. Actually. Oh, didn't the, they have you got the touch from? Uh, yes, the they had. Movie in four. They had, at they had it yeah. at the end of four when you get into this big yeah. mech thing. It, um, it worked me, pretty well, though. Um, one thing I liked again, going back to Grand Theft Auto, is um, in Grand Theft Auto Vice City and Grand Theft Auto Four, they had electric light orchestra songs on the radio, and yeah. you just don't see ELO uh, get the love it deserves in video games. It's never been rock in a Guitar Hero or rock band. Rockstar extremely good at picking music. 
Um, yeah, so I, I, that's that was my one disappointment with GTA V is they didn't have an ELO song. I can only assume somewhere in Rockstar there's a there's an ELO fan there somewhere. Did, um, did you guys play Max Payne Three? Um, no, I haven't because I, I pretty okay game, but there was one yeah. scene that was absolutely sublime because of the licensed music they used in it. But I don't want to spoil it. So, do you guys remember Interstate? I think it was Interstate seventy six. No, it was act, I think it was an action vision game back in the early nineties. But it was the first. You know, it was like when games were first starting to ship on CD, and so yeah. for the first time we weren't. You know, we were hearing real music. You know, and that's yeah. what comes to mind. But I don't remember specifically who was in it. But it was really cool because it was like seventies music. You know, mm-hmm. and it was. 70s cars you know it was cool it was cool stuff it was it was kind of a predecessor to, to the G, in spirit of the gta uh franchise you know the idea was you were supposed to be able to drive further around and and with mm. these cool old you know sort of american muscle cars and uh, and then it had that you know it was bringing in real music from the 70s and it was cool that's what comes to mind but i don't remember the, the specific acts of songs that were in there and of course, Brutal legend, of course, oh, of Doctor course. Of course. Park. Legend. Like, yeah. and, uh, no matter no matter what you think of Dragon Force, um, the moment when Through the Fire and the Flames came up in Brutal Legend was, was amazing. pretty amazingly <laughs> set up. <laughs> yeah. That and was amazing. Fallout, of course. I love their use of of thematic mm. music, sort of the old. Are you like, Are you guys shocked that I didn't say Fallout Three? I am actually I'm shocked. It's up to me to do. Lauren, you, usually Fallout Three is my answer for everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but just that first trailer of Fallout 3 with, as it's just coming back from the radio with the I don't want to set the world on fire <laughs> Incidentally I do that around the house a lot just that line because I can't remember the rest of it um, It annoys everyone fire. And that's yeah. underutilized music in games is like you know uh, recorded on clay old jazz blues you know mm. creepy old lounge music from the flappers era mm-hmm. you know I mean that that music just always creeps me out, like in The Shining. Yeah. And Bioshock would be in Bioshock, the, Bioshock yes. kind of did well with that. And actually, yeah. um, for as much as people don't like the game in particular, I still really like it. I'm one of the few defenders of it. But Silent Hill Downpour, um, mm. I, think, I think it was the last main Silent Hill game, um, kept thematically playing Born Free. You, you play a, uh, a, um, an, a criminal, a, a convict who's prison bus crashes and there's a an old-timey gramophone that keeps playing a vinyl copy of born free um while you're doing all these sort of really creepy moments and it's just really beautifully done from a stylistic angle there there is one other answer i've got red dead as well oh yeah red dead is good um i I think for me yeah i i really like i really like how alan wake did it where it's they pick yes. one piece of licensed music to sort of end each segment of the game. And each time that you sort of yeah. bam into the credits and like get your little moment of respite, they picked really thematically appropriate bits of licensed really music. Oh, yeah, I was actually going to bring up Alan Then you got the part with this, the, the fireworks and the stage show with the, the kind of um, oh, that is the awesome. big rock song. <laughs> that amazing. And they use Space Odyssey as, I think, was it the, the main ending credits? Or certainly the ending of one of the episodes, and I did yeah. um, kind of yeah. freak out a little. Cause I, I think they had Tom Waits as well at some Tom, point. Yeah, they had just a beautiful music choices. Yeah. It is just to comment on, uh, slightly off topic, but, you know, Alan Wake's come up a few times, right? And I think, it's like, Alan Wake is one of those games that, that really tried to push some new innovations and some new space, but was also trying to do it at a AAA level. Right, mm. so the I, the possibility of getting new playstyles and and new innovations right on a big new AAA title is pretty 
hard, right? It's going to sell yeah. for full price. And people are going to judge it like, you know, it should have been sequel number. Like, you know, we look at, at racing games, or we look at fighting games, or we look at big brand uh, uh, sequels. And we know the game, and we expect that they should be doing it better right now. Grand Theft Auto V, if you didn't do a Grand Theft Auto better than Grand Theft Auto Four, you fucked up, right? But you did, so we, we sense that logical progression. We want that logical increase, increase in quality. But they've had many iterations to build upon it, right? And there's many other comparables out there to look at. When, when you do something like Alan Wake, you're really taking some chances. And I think, you know, to a large degree, there's an element of the audience that appreciate it. But the rest is just like, well, this wasn't as good as the other one I played. And so that's, that's what's continually sort of depreciating the risk-taking ability of the big publishers. And I think Alan Wake is kind of a good example. A lot of people loved what, what, what they did and what they were trying to do. Uh, but did it play as well as the, f- the fifth generation of a proven genre? No. You know, and there's a reason for that because it's hard to innovate. I think the big one big irony with Alan Wake as well is um, it was originally exclusive to the Xbox 360 and, and Microsoft came up with all sorts of bullshit excuses as to why it couldn't <laughs> be on PC. And when it eventually some decision was finally made, someone got their head out of their ass and put it on PC, and it became a pretty damn good success. I believe they made back all their sort of costs, certainly supporting it. And um, like, like it was just so much more successful on PC, where I guess that kind of risk-taking seems to be rewarded a lot more. And, and certainly people on Steam, maybe it goes back to that impulse buy thing, people are so... Uh, mm-hmm. So much more willing to spend their money on Steam games because they're they're there, just so easily accessible. They're very happy Uh to give anything a try, and like I'm so glad that I did that with Alan Wake. I gave it a try on a whim, and it's one of my like regardless of all the problems, it's one of my favorite games of last generation. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, I agree myself as well. And I acknowledge that they (laughs) you know they didn't get it perfect, right? And I don't know how they could have in the. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and um, I believe they're the guys. The guys who did Alan Wake, they're working on that. What's it called? Continuum or some that weird TV slash video game thing that Microsoft uh, is trying to push. Yeah, something with time travel and live action stuff, and <coughs> the Lord oh, knows what they're doing. Yeah, <laughs> the Lord knows that, what Microsoft's that's, doing. With that's, that's one of those ones that you're going to have to see what it's like before getting hyped yeah. for it. Because uh, that's yeah, the best way it, to it describe could, it. It could be another thing. heavy rain, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. or um, beyond. Yeah, <laughs> beyond, beyond. Did we have any more questions worth asking, or were they still just asking about piss and farts like they usually? Most do? of them are piss and <laughs> fart questions. I'll be honest. <laughs> well, if you're going to ramp, you know, if you're going to do a mechanic of farts, you have to ramp it per sequel, right? Exactly. Exactly. And so at least we possessed them and turned them into weapons in the second game. That is true. Abe's Exodus was, was innovative in, in the fart mechanic uh, field, which is a little explored field that deserves more research. <laughs> well, you know, it's like I, I, we, we put that in there, and then I wanted to take it out, and the, and the publishers and the team was like, no, 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 we can't. And I was like, ah, all they're going to talk about is the farting, man. And totally, you know, like, don't, like, don't shy uh, away from that. Know. Be proud of the fact that you I know, you but I wanted, to, I wanted to in the beginning. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, I got I got a little scared because I thought that's all they would talk about. And then it was funny because then I got on CNN and they were like, "But Abe does something really unique," and I had no idea what they were talking about. And the people are off screen, you know, going the fart, the fart, you know. And I was like, "Uh, yeah, he possesses guys," you know. He just totally evaded me, which is completely embarrassing. But it happens. Yeah, the fart. But it's got to have value, right? So in the first game, it was just purely entertainment value. But in the second game, you know, you actually caused the stink, and uh, could get, you know, and then and then it had additional entertainment value that added up to playability. 
Is this a good place to wrap up? Because I don't think we're going to top um, farts as mechanics <laughs> yeah, as a place yeah, to think, end up, I think. I think that's, that's a good way to, to wrap things up. Um, so... We normally wrap up just by telling uh, the listeners about what the hosts are up to and where they can find them. But, Lorne, I mean, if you can tell us sort of what to look forward to next from you guys and your work and what you're working on now. Well, we hope to, ha- we hope to have some announcements soon. Uh, you can always follow us on oddworld.com. You can follow us on uh, Oddworld Inhabitants on Facebook. Uh, you can follow us on Oddworld Inhabitants Inc. on, on uh, uh, Twitter. Uh, myself is Lorne Lanning on Twitter, at Lorne Lanning. And, uh, you know, without making premature announcements, you know, we're hard at work. We're hoping to make announcements soon. And, uh, you know, we're staying true to the faith of yeah. trying to deliver quality and innovation. And when is Hand of Odd coming out? <laughs> Everyone, you know, I, I really wanted to make that game. And I'll tell you one, one of the things, you, you know, if you have a second, one of the stories. I'm so, at LAX, and I really want to make this game. And I think it would just be so cool. And the reason was is because I was like, so we had a shamanic culture versus an indigenous culture, but the shamanic culture uh, versus a industrial culture. Sorry, but the shamanic culture was into the idea of of power through life. Power, you know, a Yoda ish model and uh and then i was really excited to build this game and i remember the real you know the, the nail got stuck in its coffin is i was in the men's room at lax and i walk in at the airport and bobby kodak the ceo of uh, uh of activision is in there and you know we wind up it's like basically standing next to each other at stalls and i was like oh hey bobby and he's like oh hey lauren you know what are you working on now and i said well you know we got this and that but i really want to start this up other one on an RTS game. He goes, don't go into RTS. It's a losing genre. We just released, I think it was Black, Black, uh, or Dark Rain, I think. Something, there was a game that they, they released at that time. I'm sorry if I got the name wrong. And he just said, he just goes, don't go there. You're going to lose. And I was like, just sunk. But I was like, damn, you know. <laughs> if, if you knew Bobby Kotick and, and you know, uh, you know, I, I mean, I knew him just just very casually through business, but I knew this is a really smart guy. And if he's telling me that, I'm like, I'm probably barking up the wrong tree here. And that's what happened to Andavad was we went, you know, it's going to cost us a lot to build it, but it's probably not going to be that successful right now if, if big publishers like Bobby. And at the time, that was retail, right? You only had a chance of getting a game out on retail. But the paradigm of that game sticks with Oddworld. And, and whether it's Hand of Odd directly or other things, we hope to be incorporating more of those sensibilities into future stuff. That would be awesome. Because I remember when I was, um, again, back when I was in school, um, back in secondary school, um, reading through a game magazine, and there were screenshots in there for Hand of Odd, and I'm like, I was obsessed with Oddworld as a kid, to awesome. the point where I played it so much that um, it started to change the way I thought about things, because I, I would obsessively quick save um, in Abe's <laughs> Exodus, to the point where it started affect. I think we talked about this on another podquisition, <laughs> where I was just thinking, it played over into real life, and before I'd crossed the street... I'd, I'd be less careful and think, ah, I could just quick save. Wait a minute, this is real life. I must look both ways and, and obey the highway code. Um, so twice twice you almost killed Jim, Lord. <laughs> yeah, so we've never heard that before because I guess the people who d- didn't quick save at the street corner probably just didn't make it, right? Yeah. So how many of those are responsible for? I, I hope it's very few. I, it just reminds me because I used to uh, I used to work so much in computer graphics. I remember when I was just working in film and I was working literally, um, you know, zero exaggeration, but 70 plus hour weeks 
month after month, year after year. That was just my life. And I remember walking down the street and I'd be like, oh, oh over there, you see that, that, you know, thing, thing that we, you know, that restaurant we want to go to. And they'd be like, where? And I'd be moving my hand as though the mouse was supposed to go on top of where I was looking. And I'd be like, man, I'm really getting <laughs> fucked up. Spending too much time behind the monitor with a mouse. To, to your point, you know, there was no quick save in real life. <sighs> well, that's awesome. Um, Laura, people want to know how they can get more of your stuff when they're done listening to this because they've got nothing to do with their lives. How can they do that? Oh, if you want to find more of what I'm doing my, with my life, the best place to go is Laura K. Buzz on pretty much anything. So Laura K. Buzz on Twitter, Laura K. Buzz on Patreon. That's what funds a lot of the weird, weird stuff I do. Other than that, you can find me doing news every morning, Monday to Friday on Destructoid because... UK editor, woo, that's official now, we can actually talk about it, which I think as of last week's episode, it's still, oh no, it was, we did publish it in last week's episode, so yay, that's a thing. Um, other other than that, just Laura K. Buzz on pretty much everything. Sounds awesome, and Gavin, you are kind of, you are known as the kind of a pop star of pop music. How can people find out more about your great music? Uh, you can find me in all the usual places, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, the main hub, as Miracle of Sound, and where I do lots and lots of songs, which have just hit 60 million views. Woo-hoo! Nice. And I do believe, actually, we are going to, I guess we, we're going to close out the show this week with a, a little exclusive snippet of your latest song that's based on Bloodborne, right? Yes, yes. This is going to be the first place that people get to hear a little a little snippet of the upcoming Bloodborne song. That can, before we go, can I just say how nice it's been to have a fellow uh, deep voice drawl on the show? <laughs> uh, yes. Well, it's, it, <laughs> thanks for having me. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming. Oh, thank on you for joining us. It's, it's been, been a lovely. pleasure. Are you kidding, Jim, Laura, Gavin? You know, you guys are hilarious, and I love being on. So, <laughs> thanks for having me. And uh, if you ever want me back, let me know. Okay, awesome. Yeah, maybe we will have you. Yeah, let sure Alex know. Will. <laughs> I will let Alex know. If, yes. um, episode done. Thank you all for listening. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, <laughs> there we go.